The hole twisted about, in some parts so low that he could hardly get through, in others so high that he could not see the roof. But everywhere it was narrow, far too narrow for a goblin to get through, and so I presume they never thought that Curdie might. He was beginning to feel very uncomfortable, lest something should have befallen the princess, when he heard her voice almost close to his ear, whispering, "'Aren't you coming, Curdie?' And when he turned the next corner, there she stood, waiting for him. I knew you couldn't go wrong in that narrow hole, but now you must keep by me, for here is a great wide place, she said. I can't understand it, said Curdie, half to himself, half to Irene. Never mind, she returned. Wait till we get out. Curdie, utterly astonished that she had already got so far, and by a path he had known nothing of, thought it better to let her do as she pleased. At all events, he said again to himself, I know nothing about the way, minor as I am, and she seems to think she does know something about it, though how she should passes my comprehension. So she's just as likely to find her way as I am, and as she insists on taking the lead, I must follow. We can't be much worse off than we are anyhow. Reasoning thus, he followed her a few steps, and came out in another great cavern, across which Irene walked in a straight line, as confidently as if she knew every step of the way. Curdie went on after her, flashing his torch about, and trying to see something of what lay around them. Suddenly he started back a pace as the light fell upon something close by which Irene was passing. It was a platform of rock raised a few feet from the floor, and covered with sheepskins, upon which lay two horrible figures asleep, at once recognized by Curdie as the king and queen of the goblins. He lowered his torch instantly, lest the light should awake them. As he did so, it flashed upon his pickaxe, lying by the side of the queen, whose hand lay close by the handle of it. Stop one moment, he whispered. Hold my torch, and don't let the light on their faces. Irene shuddered when she saw the frightful creatures, whom she had passed without observing them. But she did as he requested, and turning her back held the torch low in front of her. Curdie drew his pickaxe carefully away, and as he did so spied one of her feet projecting from under the skins. The great clumsy granite shoe exposed thus to his hand was a temptation not to be resisted. He laid hold of it, and, with cautious efforts, drew it off. The moment he succeeded, he saw to his astonishment that what he had sung in ignorance to annoy the queen was actually true. She had six horrible toes. Overjoyed at his success, and seeing by the huge bump in the sheepskins where the other foot was, he proceeded to lift them gently, for if he could only succeed in carrying away the other shoe as well, he would be no more afraid of the goblins than of so many flies. But as he pulled at the second shoe, the queen gave a growl and sat up in bed. The same instant the king awoke also, and sat up beside her. "'Run, Irene!' cried Curdie, for though he was not now in the least afraid for himself, he was for the princess.' 